Hello, what is up? And welcome to Off the Books, where we're surfing the uncharted waters of accounting, of finance, and wherever else those waves take us. This episode is brought to you by Workiva, the number one platform for accounting, for risk, for compliance, and so many other fun things. Go check it out at workiva.com slash podcast. I'm Drew Dubner, and I am your host. I am not an accountant, but I like asking questions of people who are, so finance professionals can do their jobs better. And today, we're jumping in the Wayback Machine. We're revisiting a topic that we touched on about six months ago, or was it six years ago? I don't even remember. Anyway, we're talking about the current expected credit losses, CECL, accounting standard, and the CARES Act and the nightmare soup that both of those things have turned out to be for banks. Here to detangle the whole issue, we've got Steve Soder, we've got Heather Markheim, and we've got Chris Abla. Hiya, Steve. How you doing? Drew, I am doing great. Always happy to be with you. Uh, Steve Soder, accounting enthusiast and Diet Coke aficionado. I'm looking forward to debiting some ex post facto discussion today. Is that Latin? I don't know what that is. I, I, I Googled synonyms for retrospective, and that's what it came <laughs> <laughs> Heather, do you have any Latin for us? I don't. And now I feel definitely unprepared. So thank you, Steve, for, for showing me up. Appreciate it. Hopefully I can at least show Albella up. <laughs> um, now, Heather Markheim, glad to be back, Drew. Glad to be back, Steve. Um, in some ways, it feels like six months ago. In some ways, it feels like six years ago. Let's look back on 2021. So looking forward to revisit this discussion today. For sure. And Chris, hey, how's it going? Hey there. Um, so my name is Chris Abella, and I'm a career risk and opportunities warrior. Um, yeah, I've been in banking for about 20 years uh, since the dot-com bust. Um, I've spent the bulk of that time forecasting economic analysis. Uh, you know, I love geeking out about the economy, government policy, and, and superhero movies. I, I got to be honest, one of the worst parts of this of this COVID pandemic was the cancellation of all my Marvel movies that were going to come out in the summer and fall. Like I'm, I'm just crushed by it. And I'm I'm so stoked for 2021, assuming we come out the other end. And we can go to movie theaters again. They didn't get canceled. They just got delayed. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, hardcore off the books listeners will remember when we discussed Cecil and the CARES Act way back in April. We just talked about this. And I, I need some help getting up to speed here. And I'm sure the listeners do too. So Cecil had something to do with banks. Heather, Chris, can you refresh everyone's memory? What's the scoop here? So thinking back, so Cecil was responsible uh you know, came about as a response to the Great Recession. You know, when you when you think back prior to the Great Recession, a lot of the allowance framework was a combination of what losses were incurred or highly likely to happen uh, with a large smattering of management judgment layered on top. So once the Great Recession hit, it exposed a lot of gaps with how banks and management teams thought about credit risk. And at the same time, there was a lot of work going on with stress testing and taking economic cycles and looking out into the future for a longer period and then coming up with an impact from that. Cecil, is, while stress testing was a capital exercise, Cecil was, the way I think about it, a credit version of that capital exercise. So it's about going from this more qualitative management approach about thinking about credit risk to bringing in models, bringing in economic variables, there's still management uh, assumption that is brought in, but now having a lot more rigor in place for forecasting the allowance than what was there prior to the Great Recession as part of that response to what 
a lot of financial institutions went through at the time. Well, and it was also acknowledging the fact that, you know, the topic of, of black swans coming up, right? That it, it was going to be um, the ability to better predict or at least calibrate to those types of, of scenarios was going to be an important factor and capability that these organizations needed to have. They needed to be able to shift that mindset to be more predictive than just, you know, looking at the actuals that happened. So it's essentially like a scenario planning for a worst case scenario for banks? It, it is to a certain extent. So the way that the, the accounting guidance is laid out is you're supposed to take the most likely scenario, but they actually have, allow you to run what's called a shadow scenario for you to benchmark against. So there's kind of the scenario that you think is the most reasonable. And because this is a, an accounting concept, it goes back to what's defendable, repeatable and controllable. And so you have a scenario, you have a process that fits within the scenario, you run your results, but you're also allowed to run the shadow scenario, which could be maybe management's view of their specific bank is slightly more optimistic or pessimistic than kind of the average view. So you have to think a lot of a lot of banks that run Cecil, not everyone is is, is you know lucky to have like an economic team running around out there like B of A or JP. You know, a lot of banks have to get their economic variables from other vendors. And so to be able to have a shadow scenario that says we've taken the sort of national or regional view of the economy, what we think could happen in our portfolio, we can now customize it a little bit more by saying this is our bank of ABC sort of view. So this way you have your kind of average, you have the shadow on either ends, and then management can say, this is where we think the forecast is going to be. And then you would just speak to that as part of your, your filings and investor relations packages. You make it sound so much simpler than it is. <laughs> I <was gonna> say. <laughs> now, I was just going to say, you know, you, you talk about the Great Recession and you talk about the activities that came from that, right? And so, Drew, Steve, I go back to where we had talked about, you think about the Great Recession, you think about the activities and the changes that had to happen, things like with CCAR, things like the accounting standards with Cecil, and then all of a sudden, here we are, right, beginning of 2020 last year, and, you know, as Cecil was starting to roll out, officially become official, um, the pandemic started. And it, the, the timing, I hate to say it, very ironic, so, so I'm, Heather, I'm glad you brought that up because, of course, you know, Cecil was rolling out, the pandemic hit, and then we have the CARES Act that comes into the picture. And I know that the CARES Act had a, and we talked about it back in April, but I know it had a pretty dramatic impact on Cecil. It, it actually changed, um, you know, the required date of implementation. Would, would love for you to kind of get us now up to speed on what the CARES Act did to all of this, because it, if I recall, it really threw a wrench in things. Yeah, and, and Chris, feel free to jump in too. You know, the thing with the timing of that and the the requirement aspect, a lot of these organizations had already been spending years as they were redefining and rebuilding their models and had been running these parallel pro processes to start reporting so that they could be able to see the impact on them, right? So when we think about when the CARES Act even rolled out, a lot of these organizations, especially the ones with CCAR, had already run the models, had already started looking at the analytics. So although it delayed it, right, a lot of these companies were still running it um, and, and being able to see the, the impacts to it. Of course, a little bit of a different impact as we look down market to some of the other organizations. But 
you know, and we can talk about this in a bit, but I think one of the things that came out of this also was just as organizations were starting to see their model runs and seeing the outputs with Cecil initially at the beginning of the year. And then as it's progressed throughout the year, you know, the whole topics of how these models were actually built, calibration, recalibration that has to occur has been some of the learnings throughout the year. Um, Elbella, I don't know if you have anything else to add, at least to the impacts. I know you're, I know CARES Act is close to your heart. Yeah. So yeah, you, you know, you have to feel bad for, for, for bankers at the time when you think about it, like there was this new process that was out. It was completely changing the paradigm of how they forecast. And so, you know, going back to December and even into January in their mindset, there was like, we're going to roll Cecil out and then we'll, we have time to make changes along the way. We know the results are a little bit less intuitive than we would have thought just because now it's more model driven versus our, qualitative management approach, but they didn't have that chance, you know, right as they're rolling out in the very first quarter, because it is a quarterly reporting process. Now they have to not only layer in the new framework, they have to layer in the worst month of COVID uh, just as it was beginning in March. And so the way I actually think about the, the CARES Act was a, was mostly a good thing for them from a CECL perspective, because when that first hit before the CARES Act, all of your forecasts were looking horrible at that point because the models that were never really run under live fire, they were always theoretically tested and validated on all the all of the academic stuff. But now that you're actually reporting on it, they all showed very, very bad results. Think about it. The GDP was coming in in the extreme negatives. And so as a result, all the model calibrations from that are, are giving you just absolutely abysmal results. But then when you would talk to bankers and say, hey, look, I'm still seeing deposits on my end. I'm still seeing activity coming in from our, our customers. Um, our, our loss rates are not going to be react that fast to the pandemic as what the models predict. But then CARES Act starts getting ground and they start talking about it, you know, version one, version two. And now bankers have something to, to, to point back to and say, hey, this is something that will reduce the loss rates that our models have kicked out. The good and the bad of it is now they have a talking point, but the bad part is they just spent all this time, energy, and money validating all these models, and now they're going back to overlaying the models quite a bit because there's this legal qualitative event happening that's not anywhere in the data yet, but they have to account for it, and so the models are just getting pushed aside because now – you have to factor in this this political aspect to it. And it's really only, you know, two Q is when you start seeing the impact of the CARES Act. But by then, you've already started running your process. And now you're kind of trying to have the models catch up to the reality. Um, so it's uh, it's been a little bit of a cat and mouse game this year, for sure. And, you know, this latest round with, you know, all the talk about subsequent stimulus, the $900 billion that was just approved. There could be a further stimulus once the administration kicks in. You know, it's just going to be adding in more churn into that dynamic between the modeled outputs and what management really wants to do. I know that's that's what I keep asking myself is when are we going to actually have a true sight into the landscape of how this is working? So if I was to explain this to my, you know, my high school freshman son here. So we had the Great Recession. The, the loss models used to estimate the loans that are going to go bad, that clearly didn't work. So this thing, Cecil comes out and says, okay, you know what? You're going to need to do it differently. Um, that 
you know, went live right at the beginning of 2020, but then the pandemic hits, which obviously threw a wrench into what everybody's expectation was of the economy, whatever, you know, loans are going to go bad, people lose their job, whatever. But then we weren't actually seeing all of that negative stuff happen. Banks were still, you know, getting deposits, whatever. Things were still going okay. So then we almost kind of had to revert back to what we had been doing previously because things weren't going the way that they thought. Plus, you had all of the stimulus money and all this kind of artificial impact to the economy that further kind of muddied the picture, which kind of gets us up to, you know, that, you know, Q2 2020 timeline. I mean, did I kind of get us up to speed there? Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's pretty much the gist of it. The, the you know, the, the, the ultimate one of the underlying things that like creates this 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 friction for banks is there's this duality of what the allowance is supposed to be. So a lot of banks are publicly traded. And if you're not publicly traded, you still have shareholders. So from their point of view, you know, earnings and earnings growth matters as a regulator. You want to make sure that the banks have enough cushion, which is what the allowance is to absorb losses. So from the regulators want as much cushion as possible. The investors want as much reasonably accurate cushion as needed. And then on the the, the, the other side is that if you have too much cushion, the SEC will ding you because you're managing earnings. The bank regulators love it when you have too much cushion, and then the investors want you to have a reasonable amount of cushion. And along that like three-way pivot is where banks have had to manage their allowance in. And so again, just level setting, pre-Great Recession, a lot of banks held allowance levels that were higher than what their actual experience has been for 10 years since the Great Recession. But they've had to maintain a higher level because of all these expectations from the regulators and to somewhat degree investors wanted it to keep it higher than it really was. If you look at actual losses for many banks, they're very close to zero for, for a 10 year period, but their allowance was much higher. Cecil comes in and says, you have to have a, a much closer gap. You have to take your data, you have to take the models and you have to, you have to get more reasonable. COVID hits and says, you know what? It doesn't really matter because it's not in your data but you have to account for it somehow. Well, it's not just that you have to be more reasonable. You have to be better at predicting the future and better at being able to see, right, the crystal ball. So it sounds like you're kind of darned if you do, darned if you don't, which I'm guessing, Drew, that's how you're feeling right about now, trying to figure out where we take a break. Ah, yes, Steve. Thank you so much for the obvious layup of a segue. This has been the first half of our conversation about Cecil and the CARES Act. Stay tuned for next week for part two. We look forward to having you back. Make sure to mark your calendar. I'm Drew Dubner. This has been Off the Books. Please subscribe, leave a review, or tell your buddies if you like the show. If you want to be on the show, if you want to yell at us, write us at Off the Books, all one word, at workiva.com. Surf's up, and we'll see you on the next wave.